You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 7 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. How to effectively manage a risk review or tax audit by the ATO? This is the question I ask King 10. King is a tax lawyer and you might remember King from episode 4 when he walked us through the life cycle of a tax dispute. I started the interview asking King what to look out for at the beginning of a risk review. We generally suggest to clients and accountants acting for them in a risk review to think about controlling the information flow. Are they answering the questions? Are they clarifying ambiguous questions? And then to answer the question that's now been clarified so that when a position is uh, notified to the tax office and materials provided, a wrong impression isn't given. Um, sometimes taxpayers have adopted the right position and the appropriate position, but there's some kind of miscommunication happening at that risk review, which then results in the risk review unnecessarily um, progressing to a tax audit. And that, of course, comes at the cost of time for the client and money being spent on professionals. And we've seen cases where an issue shouldn't have resulted in an audit and it ended up resulting in an audit. It shouldn't have resulted in an assessment and it resulted in an assessment. Mm. And, and all went, of it just because then, the risk yeah, review went wrong. Well, not, not just the risk review, it compounded um, mm. with things being miscommunicated with the tax office at the risk review, which then led to an audit. And then things weren't clarified properly at the audit, which then led to assessments. And at that time, the clients left have a think about what to do with the assessment. Um, they then had to spend time and money uh, contesting the assessment through an objection and then resolve it at that instance. You know, if, if things can be done properly for, for that um, matter, for example, it could have all been resolved at the risk review. So, so it's important for the client, as well as advisors acting for them, to, to, um, to know what to do in the risk review. At the same time, at the risk review, the client, if they have spotted an issue which they know that the tax office you know, will, will, will find anyway and, and it, it is a position that's been adopted is incorrect, they can consider doing a voluntary disclosure and that can result in a reduction in penalties that can otherwise apply as well as interest charges. So if, if a client approaches, and you know, for example, the tax agent and say, look, I just want comfort this, then if you want to be safe, you can do a voluntary disclosure before the tax office gets involved and you can get the 80% reduction, which is still a better outcome than the tax office eventually finding. And if the chances are it's probable not to find it, then they'll find it, then you won't get any discount at all. Once the risk review has been undertaken and the tax office is not uh, is concerned with certain issues, then they, they can escalate the risk review to a tax audit. And that allows the tax office to undertake a closer examination of the issues and areas of concern. And the audit can be targeted towards specific tax issues which have been uncovered in the risk review, or it can be targeted towards specific tax years on the affairs of the taxpayer in general. And in terms of the tax office, the tax audit, the tax office can actually come in with a specific issue in mind, but as it uncovers more and they more unravels and they discover more, then that opens mm. up the whole audit, mm. you know, that that can actually happen as well. 
if the tax office has asked the question and you decide to volunteer information, you have to consider whether that's actually necessary and appropriate because voluntary information may mean that the tax office then asks more questions. Mm. It might be there's no tax issues at, you know, at all, but it, it just means that you're creating more work for yourself. So normally the tax office has an audit checklist. Um, and is that usually tailored to the client or is that kind yes. of a standard? Uh, so gener- in, a typical, um, in a typical process, the tax office will do the risk review. So that already gives them an idea of where they want to what, dig. What, yeah, what, what, what actually are the issues and what the taxpayer is like. And then from then, you know, the tax audit can look deeper into certain issues. For example, you might have a, a sale of a property tax office has picked up that there was a sale that's been undertaken, but in that same year, no CGT events were recorded. So in the risk review, they might ask about, oh, where, where's the property? Give us the details. Then if they think there's issues, you know, it might pr- proceed to an order. And at that stage, they might look deeper into the actual tax positions that have been undertaken, the cost base, and what materials are available to support the tax cost base. Do you find um, do you find that clients are usually a lot more nervous if it has progressed to an audit than just a risk review? Yes, I think um, normally clients get nervous as soon as the tax office is involved in any sort of manner, even if it's a questionnaire through a risk review. And of course, um, if you receive a letter saying that we're now proceeding to a tax audit, it's fri- it can be frightening, and it's it's never uh, it's pleasant. Yeah, yeah, it's never pleasant. Mm. And then for the tax payer and the advisors, then the same question comes up again as to how do you actually then act on the audit? And to get to there, you might want to consider controlling the information flow, just asking the tax or uh, providing the tax office with the question that's and responses to, yes. to those questions that's being asked. That probably applies to the entire life cycle of the tax dispute, doesn't it? You know, control the information, be careful what you mm-hmm. disclose, what you don't disclose. Yes. And generally, the tax office would provide a position paper at the end of the audit, which explains the tax office's understanding of the facts, the position that the tax office takes, the issues that's being identified, and any proposed assessments. Generally, the tax office also will also offer the client the opportunity to comment on the position paper and perhaps the client at that time can decide whether to continue engaging with those audit officers to try and change their mind. So about the position paper that's being issued for the, the taxpayer, the question that comes in mind is, is anything in there wrong? You know, it might be the tax office has taken it an incorrect view or has an incorrect um, understanding of the relevant facts, then the, the question for the client is, do they actually respond? If they don't respond and it gets finalized and, and assessments are issued, they can bring it to the stage. So they do have to make a judgment call at that time. Yes. So the position paper would be an important document if you decide yes. to appeal, uh, to object or to appeal. Yes. Um, it's an important document because... The next phase after um, the order, let's just say the objection, will be based on that position paper. Uh, For the client, they may decide, look, the order has gone on for two to three years. 
um, a lot of things have already been said to the audit officers and they still take a view that is in conflict with what we've told them, which means there's no point talking further because they're not going to change their mind, in which case it might just be better off uh, using those resources at the next phase, which is at the objection phase. You get a different set of eyes looking at the issue yes. and sometimes... Sometimes the uh, assessment is withdrawn after the, the objection officer becomes involved, looks at the supporting evidence and materials and then say, well, we think um, the position is actually different from what was adopted and ordered. Yeah. Have you had that a couple of times that you thought, oh God, we're just not getting anywhere with this particular person. They don't seem to listen to what we're saying. Let's just close it, let them issue the uh, amendment. We've had several instances where um, it was just better off for the client to, to just move on to the objection phase, get another officer involved, and at that time restart the process, go through the supporting materials, and we've had um, cases where the assessments are withdrawn at the objection phase, sometimes in full, sometimes not in full, but the majority of the shortfall is then uh, withdrawn, so to speak, done at that stage, or the client just doesn't want to deal with the uh, audit officers any further, then they can't um, wait to the next phase. At the conclusion of the audit, if there's a shortfall in tax that's been identified by the tax office, they will generally um, raise assessments shortly after to recover the uh, shortfall in tax. And the assessments can be just on the income tax um, shortfall, which can come with interest charges, um, and accompanying that assessment might be another assessment for the penalties which can range from 25% to 75% and uplifted by another 20%. Yes, depending, depending on, on how guilty the um, taxpayer yep. is perceived to be. So once an assessment has been issued by the commissioner, several things to think about for the taxpayer. The first one is, if there's fraud and evasion, the tax office can of course go back indefinitely. And once an assessment is raised, it's treated as correct on all aspects and binding. It allows the commissioner to then commence debt recovery. And the assessment, because it's treated as correct on all aspects and binding, the taxpayer is actually guilty until proven otherwise. And it's the taxpayer who has the burden of showing that the assessment is incorrect or excessive what the assessment should have been or if there's a decision that it should not have been made or should be made differently. So once the commissioner issues the assessment, the board then shifts to the taxpayer. Yeah. It's tough because an assessment can be very excessive. To give an example, the tax office might say every single transaction that has hit your bank account for the last two years it's is income. income. Mm. So then you have this difficult task afterwards of presenting information and proving that every single transaction that's coming is not income. You know, and that can be quite costly for uh, the taxpayer to engage the assistance needed to put together that evidence. But from a policy perspective, I guess it makes sense as well because the tax office has to take care and has to monitor so many taxpayers, right? So it doesn't make sense if they then have the onus of proving that what they've got is right because the taxpayer would be the person who's best understanding the situation and therefore has the materials yes. to, to then this uh, you know to say that the assessment is incorrect. Um, mm. Mind you, you know you, you do rely on a bit of good faith from the commissioner, 
to not raise those large assessments, uh, which is just you know not founded on any basis. Now, if an assessment has been issued and received, the first question is: Is it a valid assessment? Right. Um, sometimes the assessment might not be valid. For example, the taxpayer's name is not actually provided in the assessment. In the Seriously, TFN. have you seen that? You've I've seen, seen an assessment, I've seen an assessment the where the TFN and the taxpayer name has not been provided. It was issued to the tax agent, simply providing the number. And of course, the tax agent receives it and says, I don't know who this is issued to. I've got so many clients. But shortly after, the tax office picked up the error and then reissued the assessment. You know, So that, that, that can happen. That's something to take into account on. Now, the other question that the taxpayer should have think about is, is the commission actually out of time in issuing the assessment? So generally, for an individual who's not a beneficiary of a trust, the tax office has two years to amend the assessment. If mm. they're out of time and there's no finding of fraud and evasion, then that can be a basis for arguing and defeating challenging the assessment. And once an assessment has been raised, another thing that uh, most taxpayers do forget is the tax debt management. Regardless of whether you're happy with the assessment, you need to manage the tax debt. If you're happy with the assessment, no, well, no one is, but if you're content with the assessment, then then you just pay it by a certain due date. And if you don't have the money to pay it, you might want to consider entering into some sort of payment arrangement or payment plan with the commissioner. Hmm. Um, so that they don't then seek aggressive debt recovery action. Yes, and I can imagine this is usually where a, a lot of your clients get really upset. They hmm. they feel they are, have been wronged by this assessment. Yes. They shouldn't be paying this, and then and then you're in the very unfortunate position to have to tell them that exactly. even though the ATO made a mistake and um, you will object against it, but at this stage they need to pay. They have to pay upfront hmm. um, so that they can continue the. Um, objection, for example. Yeah, that's probably not an easy yeah. phone call to it's make. Not, it's, not an, it's not easy for the client to accept. At the same time, what generally becomes difficult for the client is cash flow. If you have a business, then you've got your normal business expenses. If an assessment comes and it's a, mm, uh, say it's an outrageous amount, hit. then how can you, and if you don't have the money to pay or upfront, you can't mm. just take, give all your cash away mm. because then your business is going to struggle. Mm. And the objection, if it goes to objection, an appeal might take several yes. years to resolve. And during that time, your business is constrained. Um, and I've seen that happen. So it's wise for the client to get on top of tax debt management as soon as they receive an assessment. You know, If they can't afford to pay the full amount, should they enter into some sort of arrangement? Mm. We generally work side by side with the... Um, the accountants, mm. because the accountants would have uh, a bit more of an understanding of the cash flow needs and the, um, I guess, the commercial um, side of things of the business, and they can then decide at that time with the client. Look, we're happy to pay um, 50% primary tax under 50/50 payment arrangement. If that prevents the tax office from recovering the full amount and seeking a judgment debt, right, mm. on the full amount. Um, and sometimes we have clients that actually pay the full amount of the assessment because general interest charges actually arise at a high rate. Um, it's around 8 to 9%. So some clients have the cash available and because interest rates are currently low at 2 to 3%, you know, then they're willing to, to kind of just 
Now, in terms of other tax debt management issues, I have seen instances where as soon as an assessment is raised, it follows shortly with garnishy order or multiple garnishy orders. Can you can you explain what a garnishy order is? An example would be you the taxpayer is um, the seller of a property, and under the, the terms of the contract, of course, the buyer has to has to pay um, money over to the seller. So the tax office can come in and issue a garnishy order on the buyer, requiring the buyer to provide um, the sale proceeds to the tax office. Uh, another instance would be the taxpayer has bank accounts with, let's just say, cash sitting in there. The tax office can issue a garnish order to the bank, asking for the bank account, um, the, the funds and cash in the bank account to be passed on to the tax office to satisfy the tax debt. And, and that goes towards what I said previously, that once an assessment is raised, you will want to make sure that you can manage the tax debt with the commissioner and come to some sort of understanding and agreement. Because the last thing you want is you've got all this cash lying everywhere and the tax office commences debt recovery and starts garnishing all those um, cash because you haven't entered into an acceptable payment plan of some sort. And that can come as a surprise to the taxpayer. Now, apart from the normal way of resolving an assessment or defeating assessment through an objection, appeal, sometimes another way for the taxpayer to, to actually reduce the amount of tax payable is to come to some sort of tax debt arrangement with the commissioner. So let's just say an assessment's been issued and the taxpayer cannot afford to pay the full amount. Um, I have seen instances where the tax office has written off debt and that's due to the taxpayer. Um, so the taxpayer is not going to win on the tax issue that's been uncovered, but they have come to some sort of arrangement for a reduced amount to be paid. Um, and at times it can happen without the tax office um, initiating bankruptcy or insolvency proceedings against the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. If you do decide to go down that path um, of negotiating the tax debt to seek some sort of write-off or, for example, a hardship, um, you just need to follow the procedures um, that's been set up by the taxpayer because they would, you know, they, they have a duty, the commissioner has a duty to collect tax. So they can't really just come in and, you know, happily wave off the to be satisfied certain things. So if you're going for a hardship application, you actually need to show that there's hardship, that you can't afford your basic necessities. You know, if you live in a mansion and you say, I can't afford to pay taxes, then it's harder to, to, to file your case and get it over the line. You have to look at the tax debt as to how it arose. And if, if it's gone through at the end of an appeal, you might have more interest charges and that might be a basis for the tax. There may be a basis for the taxpayer to ask for remission of those interest charges because some sort of delay by the tax office. Mm. And if you're getting on top of tax debt management at, you know, as soon as the assessment's been issued, it may be mean that that reason for you, the tax office delay in remission uh, for requesting remission of interest charge is not relevant. Right, so you just you just look at the tax debt as they arise and and see what is available for the taxpayer to to get to the outcome that it wishes. Um, I've seen instances where we've requested for a tax debt to be written off, and 
we've shown the tax office that look under this payment plan, both sides will be better off. The taxpayer can continue to operate the business. They can't afford to pay the full amount, but under this payment plan, the tax office will get more than what it will get then, you know, if the tax office actually initiated liquidation proceedings yes. today. Those are, those type of arguments, you know, you have to show the tax office how they can be better off in certain instances, um, can assist the taxpayer in getting any debts written off to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, I've seen cases where the tax office um, refuses to write off a certain amount of debt so that it can act as a deterrence for the taxpayer because the taxpayer has repeatedly created the trouble for himself. You know, when I say that, I mean the taxpayer didn't lodge tax returns. Then tax office gets involved, issue assessments, and then taxpayer then don't pay the assessments. They buy cars, you know, they pay off the credit card debts. They just let the, assess- the tax debt grow with interest charges. And then that's not the first time they've done it. So I've seen instances where the tax office just wanted to make a statement. Um, and so, so you, you just have to look at the circumstances and, and what's best and what's available for um, the taxpayer. Yes. Now, other thing that I want to note about when you do negotiate tax debts with the tax office is to be mindful of insolvency risks. You know, a position may be presented where... Um, the taxpayer wants to say all the right things about um, persuading the tax office, but in saying the things that it says, it can actually reside, resolve, or result in the directors making um, insolvency statements. Um, you can imagine a situation where the directors of companies say, look, we need the tax debt to be written down. Because, you don't, have a single because cent. we don't have a single cent and we've mm-hmm. been trading for the last year without any sort of money. We can't pay any of our creditors, including the tax office. And we've been trading for the last year. Yes. You know, that sort of statement, you just have to be very careful. Welcome back. I liked King's point about controlling the information flow to just give a clear answer to the specific question asked and nothing else. Not because we have something to hide, but because surplus information might lead to more questions and hence more work. The second insight I took away from this interview is probably blatantly obvious to you. We all know that human chemistry plays a big role in any interaction between two people, but I never thought of it in terms of an ATO dispute. But it is true that sometimes two people just don't get each other at all, even if they are tax agents or working for the ATO. And then it might be better to just move on, let the audit result in an adverse assessment and start an objection with a fresh pair of eyes. I would love to hear your thoughts. Please write if you can. Thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.